Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Jaguar, the art of performance. To learn more about the all-new Jaguar XE, visit jaguarusa.com. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio, it's the black Justin Bieber. It's Andy Greenwald. Wow. Yeah, a little bit of a mix, a little mixed it up. Remixed it for the re-up. I appreciate that. Um, You know, here's the thing. I love Atlanta, the show, so much, I'm willing to give up my title. (laughs) My honorific. You know, and many people... In Brownstone, Brooklyn, know that I have called myself the Black Justin Bieber for many years. <laughs> yeah, many, many years. You often have, it's on party flyers. Is it? Tonight, yeah. hosted by the Black Justin Bieber. Well, that's because to differentiate those parties from the other work events that I was doing. <laughs> yeah, time. right. Like, my LinkedIn profile is very complicated. Andy, what's up? It's the re-up. It's Thursday. It's We're, looser, because it's a re-up. It's, it's looser. Sure, sure. We're going to talk a little bit about last night, or Tuesday night's Atlanta episode, which uh, a lot of people really enjoyed. We'll also talk a little bit about Westworld, which is coming this Sunday on the and, HBO network. And to be clear, do not start pausing. We are not going to spoil anything. I haven't even seen it yet. Um, and so we're just going to talk about, we're going to set it up, and we're going to go deep in on it on Monday. We're going to talk about AI, uh, whether or not robots are inherently good or bad, uh, yeah. what the future really holds for us as a society if we go past the, the, yeah, into the uncanny valley. We're going to keep it loose. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about Gamora and Queen Sugar. Mm. Yeah. Some TV dramas. Do you want to start talking about Hot Wheels first, though? This got you go. This got you fired up. I mean... <laughs> so the tr- so let's set it up. The True Detective Season 2 and Fast and the Furious and Community Director uh, Justin Lin, yeah. who I, I quite enjoy his films. Sure. And his work. Uh, has signed up to look do... You, look you setting me up to be the bad guy. I'm not saying... Who's setting you up? You're setting me up to be the... All right, go on. Has <laughs> signed up to do a major <laughs> movie just, adaption. Just to, just to make it clear, I paused because I was thinking of a villain from the Fast and the Furious franchise to say I was, and then I remembered I have never seen those movies. <laughs> not, a, not a minute? Don't care. Uh, no, no, maybe our listeners might want to know that. He also directed not Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, what an honor. Um, Justin Lin is directing a movie adaption of the toy Hot Wheels. Look, you know, I, I, re- I retweet this stuff just because it's just it's so far beyond parody now that it's not even possible to comprehend it. Like, Hot Wheels are little plastic toy cars. Um, I played with them. You probably did, too. Sure. They're fucking boring. They're just little toy cars. Yeah, they just go... They don't even turn. You can just you no. you push them, and they sometimes veer. But look, here, it's no secret that <laughs> there is no, there are no, there's no investment in original ideas. There's no secret that anything that exists as IP is getting like harvested, like you know Keanu Reeves' brainwaves in the Matrix. But the thing that I, the thing that I find most disturbing about this. <laughs> Is that they didn't do Matchbox cars, which were a superior brand. No, the thing that... I'm sure someone's doing that, too. Here, here's the thing that I, I feel like the context we can give this Wait, story. what's like... The, what is the difference? I don't even remember. Hot Wheels was a brand. Like, it, someone, you know, it was little cars. And what was... Was Matchbox a type of toy and Hot Wheels was the brand? No, I think they were... I think they were separate. This is, separate this is why cars. they should be calling this movie this. Just be like Fast Cars directed by Justin Lin. And as many people That's, are going to go see it. Yeah, literally... Why are we arguing about this? It makes me so angry. I but don't know I said, why, I'm why angry. are we even talking about the difference between Matchbox? I don't. I haven't thought about Matchbox on no. Hot Wheels in twenty years. Twenty years. Thirty. Yeah. Thirty. Thirty, 30 plus. years. Thirty plus years. Yeah. Thanks. I think. <laughs> I, look, I'm a little older than you, but not that much. Like, college was weird in the '90s. We talked about lots of stuff. <laughs> we probably did talk about that in the '90s. Um, two things about this I find extremely cynical. One. People should know this isn't like this isn't like some deep data trove mining where someone was like, "What's the last toy that we haven't gotten to yet?" Yes, Hot Wheels. Someone just told me this yesterday when I was tweeting about it. Hot Wheels has been in active development since like ninety nine two thousand. This was a property that for seventeen fucking years. I want to read an Easy Riders Raging Bulls about this. That's exactly what I'm saying. Just like Bob Town being like, I took two passes at the Hot Wheels script. Look, man. Couldn't crack it. This is what I'm saying. Like, 
there was a time when like you know Terrence Malick was like I want to make a movie about life but I can't they can't make CGI dinosaurs yet so yeah. I won't do it right or yeah. like Richard Linklater was like I'm just going to go to Austin every year for 15 years and let time happen while I work on right. this masterpiece James Cameron is like, I can't make Avatar parts 4 through 27 until I learn how to build gills on my neck. Right. Which, by the way, congratulations, Jim. He just, <laughs> he just did. He is now the first living gill neck in America. But You joke, but that New Yorker profile made it sound like that dude could single-handedly stop a fire. One thing that the watch unequivocally supports... <laughs> is all innovation brought forward by James Cameron. A, true. <laughs> B, the New Yorker profile of James Cameron, where he literally stands astride a personally built firewall. And not like in an internet sense. It's foam. He comes up with a foam (laughs) to spray all over his house. And isn't there like a disagreement in Malibu about whether or not this foam should be distributed to other homes or not? A foam disagreement in Malibu. Yeah, yeah. Foam home. Re-ups are definitely looser than our Okay, so... But instead, someone's life... Life's work, really, out here has yeah. been to bring the non-existent story of plastic cars to the big screen. Like, yes. that's a bummer. Like, when our, our friend uh, Brian, the same guy who, who messed up the uh, Property Brothers Wikipedia page, like, he, he's, a, he's a screenwriter. And, like, one of the first days I met him, he was like, yep, just so you know, like, this IP thing is out of control. Like, my, part, my writing partner and I were asked to pitch on the shared Nicktoons universe movie. Yeah, there's and I was a- like, that's a joke. It was announced two weeks later that that's really a thing. There's a Max Landis video on his YouTube page on um, well, from a while back. I, I can't remember like what prompted me to look at his YouTube page in the first place. Probably like him ranting about Batman or Superman or something. And he was talking at a he was giving a talk about the state of the spec script. Yeah. And he was like, "There is no spec script market now. It's you take the script idea that you had and you have to apply it to like." this inanimate object that they are trying to make a movie out of. So right. if you had an Indiana Jones style adventure movie, it would go it would become the Jack Daniels story. And they would make up a character for the whiskey who like is like an adventurer who likes whiskey. You know, I may have just done a one eighty here because <laughs> that sounds like a that great sounds fucking great. Does it? <laughs> well I like adventurers who drink whiskey. Uh seriously, do you did you see Sahara? Like are you do you really into adventurers? That, um did I see Sahara? It's a complicated question. <laughs> it was the 90s. It was the 90s. I was I busy know, playing with toys. Um, aughts. Here's the other thing about it before we move on from Hot Wheels. Because we've already given this more time than it deserves. Justin Lin is a talented director. Mm-hmm. Probably a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, people really like his first movie a lot. It was Better Luck Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his career is super weird. His IMDb page is weird. And so a couple years ago, I think like the first summer of Grantland, like in 2011, I wrote about The Rock. And I wrote about how his career was really unique because all he did was jump from sequels to sequels or, or IP to IP, basically. And, yeah. he was, and it was working for him. Like he, he, he came in and saved franchises or reinvigorated them and only... He stayed, he stayed winning by doing that. He didn't build any... He didn't build that. No, I mean, he didn't... And it seems sort of cynical, but also seems smart. Yes. And if you look at what Justin Lin has been doing, um, it's weird. Like, to be the dude who's just like, yeah, I'll go in and do True Detective Season 2. You know what? I'll do Star Trek The Reboot 3. Like, that movie... You cannot prove to me that movie exists. There's no reason why that movie existed. Um, I mean, I think that there are some differences between Star Trek and Hot Wheels in terms of the, the mythology behind the two, the but two, in two terms properties. Of, but in terms of the just entropy that means that why it exists. I think that that's what the gig is now. It is. Yeah. It is. And I, he, maybe he takes pleasure out Justin of Justin Lin has chops. I mean, there's no real reason. Does it say the same thing about, uh, you know, I, same th- you could say the same thing about Antoine Foucault. Jason Concepcion made his point in his massive theory of a unified yeah. Fuqua-verse article that yeah. we ran last week on The Ringer, where it was like, Fuqua's just John McTiernan. I mean, like, the, like it's just that he's forced to re, reboot Magnificent Seven, remake Scarface. He's not, you know, he's not forced to. Okay, but, like, then I think that these guys want to play with the big toys. That's and that's what the studios are offering. But why did he choose these tiny plastic toys for his next toy? Like, so it, what do you? No, what, it's not even a metaphor anymore. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Okay, it's interesting. I, I'm not. I, I I don't as much as it sounds like I am almost the definition of hating on him. I'm not. I would. 
I'd like to have him come in and talk about it. Just because he probably has reasonings for why he's doing what he's doing and what, what inspires him. And makes Justin Lin. Yeah, and what's interesting to him about it. It just it doesn't sound interesting is all I'm saying. It sure. It does not sound interesting to jump from I, one of But I do, I do think that – wait, and then we can go into television from here. That like when you look at the narrative – filmed narrative entertainment landscape, all the stuff that's kind of what an Antoine Fuqua or Justin Lin could do is on TV. Yeah, and there are no movies that are like Ice, which is the the show that Antoine Fuqua has coming out on the Audience Network, brought which is part of the AT and T Studios. Direct TV, yeah. Um, but it's like, but it's like produced by AT and T. Yeah, is this the show about Jeremy Sisto playing a diamond thief? Does he drink whiskey? Because <laughs> if so, it's right up my alley. It's, it's so where uh, where is the the mid the mid tier cool action thriller that these guys could it, be directing? You're right, it doesn't exist. I guess. When I when I tweeted the thing about Hot Wheels, someone was like, "Well, that was stupid to make a Lego movie too." But I'm like, "You're right. Like the Lego movie was terrific, and it was really creative yeah. and really fun." I would argue that the difference here is they went to Lord and Miller to make that, and Lord and Miller are writers first and foremost, whose unbelievable talent is so perfectly attuned to these times, which is to find the clever way in to something that shouldn't be able to be done i mean right. to make 21 jump street and the sequel as good as they did you know there's a winking meta-ness to what they do but it's very clever and and it's very funny and they were the perfect people to do that justin lynn is a director and yet the hot wheels project currently um <laughs> script assignment open you know what i mean like, <laughs> is that true it said like he was going to work on the script like yeah. can you imagine like draft 16 of the hot well, wheels it's, but here's the thing is if they're like as long as it says hot wheels on it you can make the french connection that would be pretty cool that's definitely what someone is saying. Well, because so and we're getting a little far afield here, but that's what Blumhouse does sometimes, right? Like they um, do, they'll have like a property like Ouija, which I think obviously like yes. at first pass people would be like, this is ridiculous. But Ouija 2, which is coming out in October, I believe, is actually like a very strange Polanski style thriller right. starring Elizabeth Reeser. Like if you could work like the Elizabeth deal Reeser. right you could basically like be like, we're going to use the cover of this property as like a reason to get the movie made and then do funky stuff within it. Well, one of the tests... It just seems weird that like this shouldn't be that hard. Why not just make a cool thriller? But one of the questions is who has the moment and the timing and the juice and the just don't give a fuckness to pull it off within these corporate boxes that yeah, exist. Right. And um, I heard... The other night, I heard this guy, Fede Alvarez, who made um, Don't Breathe, a movie I definitely did not see and never will see, Yeah, um, talking about his career in Hollywood. And he was pretty inspiring about what inspires him and why he likes making the things that he likes to make. And he talked about how he had a meeting at Marvel, and Marvel was very into him as a filmmaker. And they were it was one of those meetings, from what it, the way he talked about it, where it was basically like, um, which one of our toys do you want to play with? Like, here's what we have in development. Yeah. Here's what we have going. Which one do you want? Yeah. And he may have liked one or another. But the longer he talked to them, the more he realized that they know what they want. And they have it all planned out. And they have all the boxes fitting where they want to fit. And there is no wiggle room to be a director or be a creator within that. There's room to be an administrator. Yeah. But I that think that said, the, the Marvel origin story, at least this the last 15 years of it, starts with an accident. Like, Iron Man's not supposed to be... A billion dollar franchise, right? Well, it, it. I mean, to go back to what, what I mean, it was. It was their only. It was the card they but chose. But I don't to play. think. I think it was a surprise. Downey was a big. Was a gamble. It Favreau all, it, hadn't it, really done an action. Well, it was film. all a gamble. So yeah. what, Remember what they did was they went. They they basically they'd given away quote unquote their best characters. They'd given away the X Men to to um, to Fox, and they'd given away Spider Man to Sony. Uh, Fantastic Four. What a great film franchise that turned out to be. <laughs> was also with Fox, and and then they were like, well, we still have these few characters. We have the Avengers characters, basically. And so they decided to get money from banks to fund their own studio so they could do it without anyone right. else's involvement and basically try to do it themselves. And then I think early on, Paramount was a producing partner for mm -hmm. those movies. But you're right. If you were doing that from scratch, the decision to start with Iron Man was a was an interesting one. The decision to hand it to John Favreau, not keep it at sixteen hundred, John Favreau, <laughs> right. but uh, the star of a chef. After this John election, Favreau. Favs might get a Marvel movie. <laughs> I feel like that's possibly <laughs> true. Um, and then to give it to Downey, I mean, this was uh, that was risk after risk mm -hmm. after risk. And but uh, to go full circle, the really interesting case for me will be: Can Ryan Coogler make 
Black Panther into an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Because he certainly had the momentum, he had the juice, he has the talent, he certainly has the chops. He has the actors. And he has the actors and the cast. Um, and is this one of those moments where everything is aligned to give him the leverage to do that? Because it's better for the bigger corporation and what that means going forward. And we're going to talk about, and maybe we, we, we could get right into it, but like we're, Ava DuVernay was going to direct Black Panther. Yep. Um, and she walked away probably for the same reasons that Fede Alvarez did, which is just like, this is not a place for me. Right. Um, and it's interesting to see what she's doing. I mean, she's doing another kind of franchise. She's doing Wrinkle in Time. Right. But she also made a TV show, Queen Sugar, that we're going to talk about. Um, let's talk a little bit about Atlanta because I do think it actually fits because this is a model that FX has sort of really excelled at recently in the last few years, which is take talented people, work within a certain margin, but basically let them make the execute their own vision. Trust trust their ability to yeah, do it, even and, though they don't maybe have never done it before. And th- these shows are increasingly starting to feel. I mean, in a weird way, Americans is almost a throwback. In comparison to uh, Louie and Atlanta and even Fargo, in terms of like there are tourist tendencies. Or American Horror Story or American Crime Story, which are franchise anthology things right. with a certain expectation of cast and everything attached. The Americans is in. I can't believe you gave me an opening to talk about the Americans uh, in this any, podcast. Anytime you want, man. God, really? Yeah, you're the 50% shareholder of this company. That's so nice. You know, <laughs> actually, 45, I still I let Dennis keep 5%. Um, <laughs> the Americans is very, very, very much old-fashioned, even though it's only you know going to its fifth season. It was Gra- Graham Yost uh, had been, you know, was, the, was running Justified, and so he was a producer on this project, and so it sort of came up through the people. It's a very old-fashioned thing, like, there's a project that we're interested in. We're going to pair it with a producer that we trust and have a relationship with. We're going to keep him in the FX family. We're going to, you know, and sort of build it from scratch, a big idea, build it up, an hour-long drama, yeah. build it from the ground up. And it certainly worked creatively, but it, you know, I, I think you could, many people would make the argument it hasn't worked commercially to the degree they wanted it to. I mean, but I think that it, it's a throwback to like Sons of Anarchy and Justify and those multi-season shows that yeah. build up audience over time, possibly. You know? Let's hope. But yeah. but certainly the enthusiasm and excitement, even within that network, you know, when when I've talked to and, and you've talked to as well, people who in the executive side who work there, they're just really fired up about Atlanta. Like yeah, they're excited that they won all these Emmys for Horror Story and you know, they're incredibly excited about Fargo season three, but they're like we're they're just geeked on it. Because this is, I don't know, I don't even know, this is the kind of show where you, you might even say, like, I don't even care what the numbers are. Because you can just feel yeah. anecdotally and just by turning on the internet, the impact it's making. Here's an anecdote that I'll share with you. This, sure. This, this is, this is, Andy's Hollywood this is Andy anecdotes Greenwald are getting. Andy Hollywood Insider? They're, they're getting, they're getting good now. They're getting yeah. anecdotes. No, this is, I can already tell this is a juicy one. Um, just it's informal, a story of betrayal. Not naming names. <laughs> okay. But it's based on a small plastic toy. Um, no, not naming names, but in, in, in an unofficial small sample size survey of people who create and write for TV shows that I've spoken to since, since being here, there, is, there are two opinions that are uniform. One is that all people want to talk about is Atlanta. It is completely fired up the creative class, so to speak, because they are in awe of it. Probably for the same reasons that you were, that you were starting to, to, to allude to, like, this is a show made with the excitement and freshness of people who maybe have never done it before mm-hmm. and are just finding their way and they're succeeding. Like people who, who should have been learning to walk and they're flying, basically. Yeah. Um, these same people do not like Stranger Things. And one self-aware writer, producer said to me, possibly that's because that was all of our childhoods too and we can't believe we didn't think yes, of that first. That always that, that, happened, uh, that happened with girls too. I think that's right, but I think girls that was, was that like was, girls was my childhood. God damn it! You know, like I that was my idea too. That was know? sitting there. I think a, a story about young people, like an updated version of Sex in the City, that was about, but like changed the dynamics of the economics and the and the sort of social strategy yeah. of, of who those people were. But young people in New York City was dying to be continued. I, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I think for Stranger Things, um, it. The, the, when people ask me, people who work for TV ask me why I like it, I, and I'm, I say, don't you listen to the Watch podcast? <laughs> and then I say, 
because it was pleasurable. It was just purely pleasurable. It was really entertaining, and it was such a joy to watch this show. It was it was really fun. Um, and those are things that they they hear, but they're like they want more. You know, they want it. They want it something deeper or rougher. Tough Can I or ask something. a question? Yeah. How many of those people who are making the the people you're talking about? Um, are make writing for shows that come out week after week. You mean that, that they're not writing for streaming services? Mm-hmm. Uh, fifty-fifty. Okay, 50, interesting. 50. I mean, I would, I would, I would, head, I would venture to guess that none of them have a sh- are working on a show that became the sensation that Stranger Things did, I think which that's... is always going to be the. Is it that good? Oh, I think that's fair. And I think everybody, I don't even think that's limited to the sample size you're talking about. I think everybody has probably done a gut check where they're like, is Stranger Things really that good? I also think it's worth noting that um, I talked to an executive who saw the script and and passed on it um, and saying that, you know, I thought this is someone, interestingly, executives love Stranger Things, (laughs) partly probably because it was a success. Yes. But the the, the interesting thing that this guy said to me was, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the the script, the the pilot script, and I could see that it was touching something that people would really relate to, and there's a nostalgia factor. But there was no way to get from that script that the Duffer Brothers could enact their vision. Well, that's direct that's where you get into the Netflix stuff of Stranger Things is an end product. I can understand all along the way where you're like, well, it's going to star six kids. Yeah. Well, what if the kids aren't good? What if the yeah, kids are annoying? Like, what if the, what if nobody understands like what's happening and nobody likes the '80s anymore? And Winona Ryder, are you sure? And all these parts along the way. Also, who are you guys? Yeah, you know, like, can you guys do this? Which which one is Ted Duffer and which one is Billy Duffer? Yeah, and you know, all these points along the map. And it's really the finished product and the fact that people inhaled that finished product like so much Peruvian flake on vinyl. That's the second Peruvian flake mention of this week, I think. Um, Like so much, you know, vinyl cocaine over a weekend. And we're just like, it's the complete thing. I'm like done. (laughs) I like that you're talking about Netflix, but you still made the cocaine reference in HBO show (laughs) due to our former (laughs) employers. Former? Well... We were employed by them as honor. I'm no. I'm doing post divorce. I didn't have you gotten that email yet. You're you're doing reconcilable differences. Do you Me know, and Aiden Church every week. Do you know I went out for that? <laughs> but I screen tested against his mustache, and oh. I did not. Um, my point is, is just like I can understand why people are both grousing about it, but I can also say that like, yeah, but like the end product of that show, it's kind of self evident why it was such a sensation. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Let's get back to um, Atlanta, though. But but I think that. Right. I think I think the thing to consider is that um, in both of these cases, it took executives. And, you know, let's be fair here. I think generally when we talk about uh, the various networks, the impression, and this is not purely anecdotal, but the mm-hmm. impression is that Netflix is, you know, in just the production business now. It's purely a business. It's growing. It's, it's just content. Yeah, there's not like content. a brand as much as it is. And it, one doesn't get the sense that there's a lot of, like, notes calls and, like, deep personal development, although there might be. They said, the I saw an, is that there isn't. an inter- interview with your boy, Ted Sarandos. Yeah, Sarandos? My, my man. What's his, what's his last name? I've, I've never actually said it out loud. Okay. You can die on that hill alone. <laughs> he was like, you know, we are... Uh, um, we're basically like patrons, but we're willing collaborators if we're invited into the process. Oh, that's gentlemanly. Yeah, like I think it's like if if need be, we can come in and help a little bit. But I'm just picturing Ted like with a with duffel bags full of money showing up at Fidelio, like the like the eyes wide shut party, and like everyone in the party is like making TV, wearing giant bird masks, and and he's like, "Should I stay?" <laughs> and someone with a candle beckons to him. Sidney Pollock is there. Um, no, but I wanted to give the, I do want to give them credit here because the narrative that we were probably about to steer into with Atlanta and and you know again we know from talking to people who were involved in it like it was a labor of love for everyone you know mm-hmm. for for Donald Glover for his for his brother and his other producers and writers and Hiro Murai who directed it but similarly like the people at at FX were also as engaged ground up working on it making sure that they had all the resources they needed. Right. And so it, we should probably give Netflix an enormous amount of credit for as, as much as the Duffer Brothers clearly pulled this off, and maybe they did it completely on their own in a vacuum, but yeah. they had the resources. They had it. They nurtured this unlikely vision to fruition. Right. They both did. Um, but the narratives around the shows might be different. But, okay, so Atlanta is the best show on TV. Yes. Right uh, Jesse David Fox wrote I, a piece on Vulture that was kind of, it was interesting the way he posited it, where because 
this is the first Atlanta episode that you can so easily be like, I'm talking about this episode. I'm talking about the Black Beaver episode yeah. that it's going to be its flagship episode for a while. Yeah. Like the same way the monorail is the Simpsons episode that you could just so easily reference and people know what you're talking about. Um, I think we should probably address the elephant in the room. And mm. when I say elephant, I mean the elephant sized basketball. I'm really glad. I I was worried. I, a lot. We did a lot of. I did a lot of dancing around the ring, and I know that. Uh, I know that people want want to hear what I have to say about this. Um, people want the TV basketball critic to weigh in. So Sam Esmail tweeted at me. Well, yesterday I I got a couple did tweets he? about. Um, <laughs> You know the basketball in this in this in this episode of Atlanta yeah. is so much worse than the basketball in Mr. Robot. Like, did he say that? No. And then Sam was like, it, he added me and was like, "These are some pretty serious allegations." What say you? <laughs> um, I I was talking a little bit with Trayvon for you from from Bill's show, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, like this." Is, and he's just like, "Steve Urkel is like in this game." Yeah, he was there. You know, and it's like Justin Bieber is black in this game. This game is not happening in reality. It's it's a it's a tough question because here's the thing: is that Sam came out and said, "I trusted my ads." By I the thought way, his show wasn't set in reality either. Exactly, but he didn't play that up. No, he didn't. He, he was just like he threw everyone under the he bus. He was like, "It was out of my hands. It's it looked good to me. Whatever." Wow. But but you know, if if Hiro Mirai comes out and it's just like, yeah, it's taking place in this like third reality of like yeah. racial ambiguity yeah then nobody's gonna be like paperboy now look they did they did fuck up the layup okay there is a layup yeah where clearly paperboy like throws the ball through the ceiling yeah. and it like lightly backs off the the, the backboard or yeah. whatever but um what did you think of it i mean i i, of I the basketball I, yeah even to my layman's eyes i could tell it was it was rough <laughs> you know it was rough the i what i want to say is brian tyree henry is quick might be my favorite performer on tv right now <laughs> right not your favorite basketball player he doesn't come to it naturally like he, his, his physicality yes. did not appear to be gliding towards the hoop. i thought it worked within the realm of the episode because he's also trying to like be a celebrity at that that day yeah. where he's going up to the reporter and saying like you should interview me i'm famous yeah. like you should interview me and so he's also talking about like back in the day i used to be such a great basketball player and it's yes. like you're trying on these roles that you're supposed to yeah. be i'm reading a lot into it it could you just are. be that they were like holy shit this guy can't ball yeah we gotta cut around we gotta it. cut around it yeah um that said the when he blocks <laughs> black justin bieber was the hardest I've LOL'd at a TV show maybe this year. Yeah. It is so funny. The episode is so... I mean, the thing about this show is that it is, it's just joyful to watch the show. Even when the subject matter isn't, even when it veers towards the surreal or the serious or the dramatic or the emotional, the exuberance with which they make the show is evident in every frame. Yes. And so in the beginning of this episode... You see Paperboy and Ern arriving at this event, or they're at the event, and they're looking around. And instantly, I'm just hyped. I'm so hyped to be there with them. Yes. I'm so excited to see what, what happens next. What a great idea. And yeah. I'm just like, you know what's going to happen next? Hijinks are coming. Yeah. They're coming. And, you know, I, I think for a while, the shorthand for, you know what, let's just be creative. Let's do the thing we're not supposed to do. Let's just throw something at the wall. Let's just let's just give in to the unconscious here and let it happen default uh example on tv was the spaceship in fargo like as like that's the shining example of a like we're just going to go for it and you're either on board or you're not but this is what we're making here yes black justin bieber might have replaced that in the lexicon yes because they wanted to do something with justin bieber justin bieber was probably not available or they didn't even try and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and once you start saying things like that creatively you're so much freer than you would have been 10 minutes before you decided that, you know? Right. And so it works because it's surreal. It works because it's funny. And it works because it's very, very sly. 
in matters of um, celebrity and race in the way the show already is. Yeah, because this is an episode about perception the same way that Lucky Stanfield's character, Darius, is like shooting at a dog. And they're like, you can't shoot a dog. And he's like, but you're shooting at a person. Yeah. And then it's like, the guy's like, revolution, the streets are run with blood. He's, he's like, like, this is not what I meant to happen. Did not say that. But it's like, everything about this episode was about perception. It was these people perceiving Donald Glover's character to be someone he actually literally wasn't. Yes. There was people perceiving Justin Bieber to be, you know. My favorite thing about this right now, and you've touched on it a little bit, is just this idea that... I at once feel in completely safe hands, and those hands are throwing me out the window. I never know from a week to week what this show is going to be in the most enjoyable, fun way, an anticipatory way. Not even fun. I mean, yeah, just like I'm like, I can't wait to be engaged by this these characters in this world. There's a there's a, a a a tool that all TV shows use to varying effect, which is basically. Um, playing with your anticipation mm -hmm. and sometimes that turns into fear or sometimes that turns into surprise sometimes they um, subvert those expectations in a way that's very creative or not um, and when we get to, to Queen Sugar in a minute you know there's there's a feeling of dread in that show emotional dread that something just awful is going to happen something bad is going to happen just because there hasn't been an, when the show begins in the pilot there hasn't been really an inciting incident yet so you right. know something's coming right the, the, one of the things about Atlanta that's worth noting is that um anything can be an inciting incident because we don't know where we're going. And so when Earn first gets there and there's a, like an attractive volunteer at the event who asks them to stand here, or you know, she just basically has one line. And the way that it's shot and the way Donald Glover plays it, my first thought is, oh, is he going to go flirt with this woman? Yeah, right. Is this going to be, is he going to be, is this what the episode is about? Is he going to be sort of, you know, piggybacking on fame and cheating on Van or is something happening here? And it wasn't. Right. But it could have been. Right. And that's a sign of a fully realized world. And whether that's because Hiro Murai, like, you know, let Donald Glover hang a beat watching that woman leave. Maybe she was just an extra and Donald Glover thought she was cute. Whatever. They're open to the possibilities of finding the show as they make it. The last bit I wanted to say about it was just that um, a lot of the times what happens is shows will get, like, a fast start. There will be, like, a mid-season hiccup yeah. or, like, it'll just be the show it is for a couple of episodes. Yeah. And then it'll sort of pick up pace at the end and end and, you know be anticipating the next season um there's something like almost seinfeldian about the last two episodes where you're just like this season could be like 500 episodes long and i really wouldn't care like no, if, you, if the the way and the way that they are able to mix like observational humor humanity and also like these very t like very good tv moments like we're friends now yeah is really pretty special like and you just feel like Oh, like this is actually just increasingly getting better every week, even if it doesn't have the same. I, I love that they've been, they established the stakes and then they're like, we're going to put the stakes over here for a while. Paperboy Deadpan is my favorite thing yes. on TV. His, he is just an amazing actor. Yeah. And, and by the way, we didn't plan to say this, but because one of the reasons we went through a bunch of comedies that our friend Max Silvestri pointed out on Twitter aren't really comedies. They're yeah. like quote unquote yeah. comedies. Uh, we did that on Monday, and the reason why we were going to run through Gamora and Queen Sugar today is because we felt like we should catch up on a bunch of stuff yeah. in anticipation of giving out the belt. There's no there's no giving. There's no giving. Yeah, he's got it. Atlanta's got the belt. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta's got the fall 2016 belt. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about Gamora and Queen Sugar. And Westworld. And Westworld. We know it's a little rude to interrupt, but while we have your ear, let's have a brief conversation about manners. As the British like to say, manners maketh the man. So it's no wonder that Jaguar's first ever compact sports sedan, the Jaguar XE, and their first ever performance SUV, the Jaguar F-Pace, are well-mannered. They both put you at ease the moment you enter, remain composed in almost any situation, and know when to make themselves heard. For the full Jaguar Guide to Manners, please visit jaguarusa.com. Thank you, Jaguar, the art of performance. Hey guys, also want to tell you a little bit about ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place is not enough. You're not going to find the quality you're looking for. If you want to find the perfect hire, you have to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. 
With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy to use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over a million businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. And it's free. Remember that. ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. Okay, we're back. Let's talk a little bit about these two dramas. A couple, you know, we've been getting asked a lot to talk about Gamora and we hadn't gotten a chance to to, to chat about it yet. You mean you've been asking me a lot? Yes, I've been starting tons of Twitter accounts to ask you. You just got mad eggs. Yeah. Gamora eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a show adapted from the Roberto Saviano book uh, from several years ago and the movie that was made from that book about uh, the the Naples mob, right? The mm-hmm. crime, crime underworld of Naples, which I think most Americans probably think of in its godfather sort of terms as an extension or a, the origin mm-hmm. of the American mafia and that it's very like, ah, uh, godfather, and it's very, you know, don this and don that and ordered. And Old world. You find out that... Um, all the worlds are colliding in Naples mm-hmm. and that Naples is just this, like at least as depicted in the show, an incredibly corrupt hellhole, mm-hmm. um, frankly. And this television show, which is on Sundance, which also brought us Honorable Woman, several other Rectify, some, mm-hmm. some other great work, uh, is probably the darkest thing I've seen on TV that I can remember. Uh, there's not a lot of brightness in it. Yeah. You're, there, you're nodding. <laughs> there, there's not. I mean, in the show, in Italian language show, was a it was a sensation in 2014. Yes. The first season. There's yeah. a second season coming. I think, or if it's already aired. In Europe. I think it aired in Europe, and they're airing. Yeah. Um, I. It's interesting. My, my first thought was, I, you know, I, I love. I, I read. I read two. I read this one author who writes a lot about the Italian crime mm-hmm. world, um, Massimo Carlotto. I really recommend people check out his books. Um, he has two series. One is the character is called the Alligator, and the other one, um, th- there's two books in the other series, and th- the main character is just like an absolute psychopathic monster who's involved with. Where in crime. Italy are they set? They're set in northern Italy near Venice, like Padua. Okay, but it's but much like the world of Naples in this show. All of Europe, it's like a gateway for drugs, um, for, graft, for drugs, prostitution, yeah. criminality from things coming from South America, coming from the Baltics. Like it's just. It's it's rough. Yeah, and so the, 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 this show opens with it's basically about a, a, a mob that are running everything from cocaine to construction in Naples, yeah. but are fending off like challenges from other smaller gangs. Yeah, and I I, I, the re, I didn't mean to like divert completely no, to books, but I, the, I think the reason why so I like the show. Um, darkness aside, I liked the yeah. show. I enjoyed the show. Um, I didn't love it as much as I wanted to, and I didn't love it as much as the books. And I, we've gone through this before, like the, like reading super dark stuff in books is different than watching it on yeah, the yeah, screen. Yeah. For some reason, I have more of a stomach for that in a book. But also, there was a little bit more of there's some layers and levels to the books where, like that alligator character I mentioned, was in prison for a while but wasn't a member of the mob, and now he sort of floats around it. And he and his buddies, who are retired criminals, like strike back at them and strike back at the whole world like an injustice. So there's sort of a it's not white hats and black hats. It's more gray sure. hats. People have compared this show to The Wire in a lot of ways, but it really is only interested in one level of the uh, the playing field, right? Right. Like there isn't the, the cops. There's thank goodness there's not the journalists. Right. <laughs> there's not the school. So my takeaway was maybe it's because you had hyped it so much, and you can talk me talk me back up. But the performances are great. The 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 look is fantastic. I mean, I was in on the show from the opening scene when these two criminals, one older, one younger, are just filling up a gas tank. We don't know why. They're talking about pop songs. There's a buzzing sound of like mopeds on a like some autostrada. Yeah, I'm you like, can practically smell the petrol. I'm yeah. like, we are in yes. a place. We are in Italy. This is a place that I would love to visit, although not their version of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it maybe it shouldn't be that radical, but to see a city that you know is in a lovingly uh, painted backdrop in every pizza parlor in New York and see it as this like gray slate gray construction site just sprawl yeah is really fascinating but you know I, I didn't 
I felt it was really good at doing the thing that it did. And I sort of was waiting for the moment where it elevated into being something more than just this one thing. Sure. I totally understand that. I think that um, one way to sort of illustrate what Andy's talking about and also I, I, I'm not like I think it's tough when there's this much television to watch to watch a show that you don't enjoy watching at all. Well, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And, and that no. And I enjoy watching Gamora, but I don't really feel good about that. You know, and that's okay. uh, tough. So. Here's an here's a way way of looking at it. There is a shootout um, in the I think believe in the first episode in a cafe, um, yes. which it, it also involves an explosion. And you know, if you're the kind of person you like watch the raid or you watch Die Hard or you even watch shows like True Detective or whatever, like last even Last Panthers, like something as gritty as mm-hmm. Last Panthers, and you're like in the back of your head, maybe you do or don't vocalize this, or like, that was a pretty cool shootout. You know what I mean? Like, you still have, like, an appreciation for set pieces and action and how it, you know, how it makes you viscerally feel to see something like that. Um, This makes me feel gross. Like, it's loud, people die, uh, there is, like, collateral damage, glass explodes. They don't just die. When people get shot, they are in an enormous amount of pain. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about this that's, like, they don't gild the lily at all. It's, It's very, like... When when I say it's gritty, I mean like you're gonna get some cuts on your hands. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Uh, so that's why it, it, I am enthusiastic about it. But my enthusiasm doesn't come with like yeah, it's, a lot of like a passion. You know what I mean? I think I just wanted it to elevate a little bit because we're certainly in a moment, and I don't. A few weeks ago, we talked about Quarry on Cinemax, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that show. I watch it. And it's just like I just enjoy the experience of watching. This and Corey has Corey's a very good example of of show, a show that aestheticizes and fetishizes violence yeah. um, in a way that you know you just kind of have to reckon with it, it yourself. Isn't for everyone, yeah. What right. I want to say is, when we even as we were talking about it, I hoped that people would gather from the way we talked about it that if you if if your receptors went off on certain words that we said or certain references that we made this is the show for you and Quarry you're going to enjoy Quarry but yeah. similarly Gamora is probably that too these are you know is the is it the wrong argument to have because neither Quarry nor Gamora wants to be everybody's favorite show neither Quarry nor Gamora wants to be the show that blows everyone's minds or unites people or surprises people in in you know, in in terms of the, the, their creativity or their storytelling or their groundbreaking, they want to do the thing that they they're committed to doing very well. Yes, and 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 please the audience that they're likely to get. There is no crime in that, although there's plenty of crime in both shows. But it's it is an interesting conversation to have coming off of the conversation we just had about Atlanta and what Atlanta is doing with TV and how different different that is. And I wonder if if both play into the longer conversation that we've been having all year which is that hour-long dramas seem to be settling into this role where they're like we're going to satisfy this group we're going to satisfy this audience um outside of a few exceptions that we've that we've mentioned um you know fargo's mr robots you know i would even say at this point i feel about the leftovers coming back next year i feel the same way about it where like i don't even know what it is or what it's going to be and that's exciting but outside of a couple shows you know, you pick pick and choose the hours because you know the ones that we get. You can find the ones that you like, but I don't know if they're moving the needle. So the inverse of that is, I would say that never has it been more stark how television is doing something that the movies used to do and don't do anymore, mm-hmm. which is basically be this uh, transportative experience. You can see more of the world hmm. and more different people doing different things on TV now than maybe you ever were able to and see in the movies. And when we long for this um, portraits of real life, take us to different places, show us different faces, that's actually like slowly, incrementally starting to happen on TV. You can go to Naples. You can go to Atlanta. You can go to Minnesota. You can go to Louisiana and Queen Sugar. And you can see these different stories. And maybe it's not for you. Maybe the tone isn't for you. Maybe it's too over the top. Maybe it's too gritty. Whatever. But it's it all kind of builds up to this very exciting time to turn on your television or turn on your computer and watch watch what these networks are making. I think that's a very positive way to frame it, and I agree with you. I I wish... So Queen Sugar is uh, Ava DuVernay, the filmmaker um, behind Selma, and we mentioned her upcoming Wrinkle in Time, TV show that she created for the OWN network, it's Oprah's network. 
um, premiered a couple of weeks ago. People, you know, got good ratings, good feedback. I felt we should check it out. The best parts of this show, bar none, are when Ava DuVernay directs scenes in Louisiana. Yeah, and so she directed the pilot, and then a series of, of other female directors have sort of it, since taken over, like the... There are moments in the pilot of this show that are just staggeringly beautiful. Yeah. And use the camera in a way that is radical, not just for TV, but for but for movies. Like, there, there are some shots, like, where you just... The way that her camera looks at bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... A black woman made this show. Yeah. yeah. And she talked about, there's a really, really good interview with her and Matt Zoller. I, I was going to say that. On Vulture that's just like, it gets really into the bells and whistles and like the, how do you do this and how do you do that of the filmmaking? And it's just, it's a great, great, great interview. I really recommend people check it out. One thing, you know, I wish I wish we had Sam Esmail back in the third chair because one thing I heard him say, not on our show, unfortunately, but when he was talking about directing for TV, you know, he talked about being a filmmaker. And so what a filmmaker's job is, is to compose shots. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you, you, you build the image you want to see, and then you try and capture it like a photographer, like an artist, and how that is antithetical to the majority of television directing throughout history, which is service the words on the page. Get the performers to say yeah. the words and get out of there. You know, do, do the two shot or whatever. It was. It's amazing to see. Uh, you know, she she got snubbed for an Oscar, but an uh, should be Oscar nominated filmmaker composing shots for a TV show. Yeah. The downside of that, and I found with a show, is that it, it was so much for a TV show. Like I think my takeaway from Queen Sugar, which is about um, a family in Louisiana, the the patriarch is is passes away in the spoiler alert. But they're on like episode five. Yeah. Right. In the in the pilot, and then his three children. Uh, have to come together and deal with the, work on a sh- work it, like sugar figure farm. out what to do with this sugar cane and, and one farm. one daughter is a uh, very very famous high profile wife of a basketball star uh, in Los Angeles very wealthy one daughter is plays by Rutina Wesley who was on True Blood and she's great on the show um, and apparently was added to the show she this is based on a book and this character wasn't in it oh really but Ava DuVernay wanted also to make the show about mass incarceration so she created a character that was invest, an investigative right, she's an investigative journalist. journalist and yeah and you can kind of feel that where it's just like well, I she also types like job title investigative journalist yeah, like at one point yeah. there's a lot of that uh, she's but so, and then the and then there's the son who is a ex-felon who is trying to raise his son uh, as a single father performances across the board are great the show is it's pretty soapy. It's a soap opera, yeah. and it doesn't rise to the level. I mean, you need TV still a writer's medium, and I think that was the thing that I took away from this. Like, you can compose these shots and have this, these wonderful intentions and beautiful vistas and images and ideas. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give me something more than that. Yeah, I. It's this is exactly what you were saying with Gamora, where it's just like there, it, there's, there's just it's your choice. Like, there's just so many different looks to see on on TV right now, and this is like. A particular like it's a little soapy it's a little melodramatic I think that the writing and the acting is the acting is excellent but I think that it's definitely like not my speed yeah but it's just like I do have like a ton of appreciation for well, the, the, the compositional stuff that you were talking about it was in there, so I, when I watched it it was interesting because I watch things especially as a TV critic or retired TV critic or whatever still thinking about this as a writer's medium my interest is still in the storytelling and the writing first and foremost and mainly because you know I wasn't I, didn't, I wasn't really trained in filmmaking. <laughs> or mm-hmm. I, I'm learning as I go as it's become a more director-skewed um, medium. But I found moments of Queen Sugar emotionally devastating and very powerful, but from the images. Right. There's some stuff with, with children and, and parents and images of faces. And, you know, and, it, and those got me. And it was interesting to be affected like that, you know, because usually it is this artfully constructed stories or scripts that that do that but you know they don't quite it didn't quite it didn't quite sync up and i didn't feel like maybe we'll check out some more in the future maybe people can let us know if 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 the show has improved or changed in any Uh in any way but it is it is interesting to see that you know a great director can only do so much whereas many of the there are shows that we've said are among the best shows ever made that have little to no directorial flourish yeah right um, let's talk a little bit about Westworld because we're r- running a little long. So, yeah. like, uh, Westworld's coming on HBO this weekend. Why don't you talk a little bit about the process to get this show on the air? I think this is really fascinating, and I cannot wait to see how the show is received. Um, 
Westworld is an enormous bet by HBO because, as everybody knows, um, you know they make the best after shows out there. Just <laughs> terrific, terrific, high yeah. quality. Um, no, they they have the the biggest, some would say, best show on television. Certainly, the Emmys have said so for two years in Game of Thrones. But their drama cupboard is a little bit thin behind it. Right, great comedies and great comedies. But the development pipeline is thin, and vinyl is off the board now. Leftovers is ending after next season. Night um, Love is a limited series. True Detective is TBD when it ever comes back. Exactly. Yeah. So what what comes next? And Westworld was a really big bet. It comes from J.J. Abrams and Christopher Nolan's companies. Uh, it is a serious and thoughtful reimagining of a, what was essentially a very campy 70s film. Yeah, based off a Michael Crichton novel. Right. Was it based off his novel or did he just write the screenplay? He just wrote the screenplay okay. about a theme park. Basically, you can visit an Old West theme park with robots. Mm-hmm. Um, great Stephen Malcolm's song about it on his first <laughs> solo record. And so Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonah Nolan, and his wife, Lisa Joy, took over the day-to-day of the show. Um, it was supposed to premiere last year. But at some point in the production, they made the pilot, and then they shut down production. This is never a good sign. And when vinyl was also played with a lot of bad news, like the, the word on the street, um, if the street is Hollywood Boulevard, was that this was an epic disaster. Yeah. That this was like an all-time sinkhole. And even when they you know, started production back up again, that something was up, that like they, were, they just didn't want to admit failure in the same way that HBO renewed vinyl and then canceled it. Like right. you, don't want to, you, don't want to, you don't want to admit that it's a mistake. It is, I've seen too, it is not a disaster by any stretch. So people should check it out. But I'm curious about, and we'll talk about this more in depth on Monday, do, A, have they done a good job communicating what this show is to people? Mm -hmm. Because they need people to start checking it out. And two, even if they have, is that thing interesting? Is this the multi-million dollar idea, sight unseen, that the network hopes that it is? Right. I can't. I mean, I I haven't seen it yet, so I, I I think it'll be cool to see like people's response to it next week. It, it, it's not really going to matter what critics say because ultimately, I don't. I, I mean, it will matter to some extent, but it's just going to need. I was thinking about this a lot, and I I just I don't want to talk. I don't really want to. Even if I did know, I wouldn't want to spoil it. But what is it about Game of Thrones, aside from the obvious big budgetness yeah. of it, which obviously Westworld also has? Is it the twists? Is it the mysteries? Is I'm shaking my head. Right. I know what it is. Okay. It's the after show. <laughs> it's the it's the world. They've built a completely. I mean, they didn't. They built it. Someone sure. else created it. Sure. I mean, it, but, but can't, a, haven't we just spent like 45 minutes talking about all these other shows that have worlds and? I mean, a completely realized down to as Jason and Mallory can tell us, down to every tiny detail, right. literally crumb of right. bread that they bake in the ovens of whatever. Sorry, we're off season. I don't need to know this stuff yet. But uh, every detail is accounted for in a completely richly imagined way. And, it, and it's giving people what they truly love on a mass level in entertainment. You know, like in the same way people love the Harry Potter books and they love the Harry Potter movies. You know, people love to, and obviously this is a lot darker than that, mm-hmm. but people love to be swept up in an epic, in a transporting epic. And Westworld is a, essentially. It's about an idea about what it means to be human, right? It is not, it's not really a place, I don't, either the human world, I mean, I won't get too far into it, but it, the, what we said about a robot amusement park isn't too far off the mark about sure. what the show is about. Yeah. I, I don't, it is not the same type of show. And so I, even if people love it and it goes on to get great ratings, I don't think it'll ever get the same kind of love or ratings because it's essentially an idea show and not a world show. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think probably that's about where we can take it without without everybody else seeing it. So we won't spoil it. I really hope people watch it. Check it out. I want to know what people think about it. We'll and talk, on, talk we'll about it on Monday. We'll go deep in on Monday, and then we're going to be joined by a special guest from the world of music Ooh. to talk about the world of music. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? Do we not want to tease it? Um, oh, I uh, Will Chef from Ockerville River. Oh, I thought it was Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher. <laughs> Dude, we would have a Oasis week. Um, our buddy Will is going to be here to talk about his new album, Away which might be the best thing he's ever done. about, And mostly, we're going to talk to him about composing the theme music for an HBO show that isn't Westworld. It's called uh, Any Given Wednesday. It's my favorite song right now. The theme song da, for Any Given da, Wednesday? Da, da, da. Yeah. You, you, you want to sing a little bit? Yeah. No. You, no, no. I want Will to do it live. Just just with his but with his, with his voice box. <laughs> yeah, just acapella. Dude, Monday's going to be fire. Okay, until then, talk to you soon. Great job, Ransky!